Uh, for the next few weeks, I just want to kind of preach to you out of some of those and uh, under the title, A Changed Life, and to hope that you will uh, be blessed by it. Uh, I want to start this morning by going to John chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 to kind of get, a, get a, an idea of what we're going to be looking at here at least today. The title of the message is A Stone's Throw Away. A Stone's Throw Away. Uh, Corey and Megan are setting just a stone's throw away from me. And uh, you'll see what I mean by that as we go along. But let's, uh, if you have your Bibles here, oh, I almost jumped way ahead of myself. Here we go. <laughs> I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. High five, pound your neighbor, whatever you need to do there. Don't hit them too hard. All right. Now, open those Bibles to John chapter 8. And let's take a look at verses 1 through 12 together. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stopped them and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. And he, as he stood, so he stood up again and he said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stopped or stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Verse 9, and when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said to her, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. She was caught in adultery. Now I've wondered over the years, how did they catch her? Did they have spies following her around? Did, did they know her mischievous and lascivious life to where they knew what she would be doing and so they could trap her. They drug her by force into a public gathering much like this. They would have stood her in front of you. They would have hum humiliated her in your sight. She was separated from everyone, even her lover. To protect her. By the way, doesn't it take two to have an affair? <laughs> Unless you're Adam and Ed. Okay. Separated, judged, and sentenced to death without trial by self-righteous leaders placed before the King of Kings, pure and holy He is. 
And this is how the Apostle John describes it in these passages we've read. It's a very significant story. has moving and theological implications. The story reads like a soap opera, doesn't it? Girls caught in adultery, brought to judgment. But again, I've always thought, where's the man? Wasn't he there? Yeah, I think he was. Why is it that the girls, it's always her fault if she gets pregnant and the boy doesn't have to do anything about it? That's being played out on our national scale right now, isn't it? Right in front of your eyes. <laughs> he didn't look the least bit happy sitting there holding her hand up on that stage, did he, on TV? 17 years old, now he's a dad. Now he's going to get married. I wonder if somebody forced him to do that. Or if he just chose to do it on his own. Hmm. Hmm. Abortion. Certainly that should be an option, right? Have you considered that if abortion was available in the New Testament day, perhaps Jesus himself would have never been born? Because the right to choose whether a baby will be born or not is at the moment of conception, folks. Because a choice was made prior to conception. Can I get an amen? You said, we'll just move on. That's enough of that. All right. Boy, what an interesting story. And where's the guy? Why didn't they drag him in there? Why didn't they stand them both up there? But they stood the woman up there. This is the place where everyone calls, who calls themselves a follower of Christ, you've either been there or you know about it and you need to go back to the foot of the cross more often. And we must go there. Often to experience that forgiveness, that grace that God can give us. In our text, John clearly identifies two different voices that speak to our situation in life. There are the critics, and then there's Christ. And the voice of critics condemn, criticize, destroy, mark, uh, mock, they humiliate. Their method is to use any means available to exploit your weakness, your failures. Trust me, if you want your life totally exposed, run for public office. Amen? I mean you will be filleted. Make one mistake and be a leader. Trust me, they will find out that mistake and exploit it for their good. It don't matter who they are. You fill in that blank. Whether they seem righteous or unrighteous, they still all do the same thing. Because that's the way Satan operates. He's the chief accuser, is he not? On Judgment Day, he will be there to play out with, as we stand before God, he will play out and uh, talk about our life. The Bible says that our whole life will be exposed. How about you? It's not going to be a fun day, is it? So what you hope and pray for at that moment is that Jesus, the Son of God, will claim you as His. <laughs> if you don't have that, not only will your life be exposed before all eternity, but you'll hear these dreaded words, Depart from me, you wicked, 
an evil person. You have no place in my home. You don't want to hear those words. What you want to hear is, come. Come, you good and faithful servant. I have a place prepared for you. That's what you want to hear. And how will you get to hear those words? If you have the blood of Jesus covering your sin. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Oh boy, the, the aisles ought to be full now. People streaming to the front in repentance. <laughs> but it's obvious that the Pharisees did not accidentally catch this woman. They planned every step of the attack and the trap. And they were doing it not only to expose her and to make her the scapegoat, but to trap Jesus so they could take him down. He exposes their motive. John does in our text. They were not really concerned about her adultery, protecting the purity of the society in which they lived in that town. They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to create a situation where he would have to choose between his message of forgiveness and obeying the Old Testament laws handed down from Moses. Just as this adulterous woman had been used by her lovers for selfish reasons, these critics used her for their own personal agenda. Ever met anybody like that? Knows a weakness you have, and they exploit that weakness for their own gain? Doesn't that make you mad and angry and you just want to slap them upside the head? Actually, I tell them, I say, I need to pray for you with my hands around your neck. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it, to not strike back? It is difficult to not stand up to them and just body slam them. You know what I'm saying? Because they are picking on you when, in an area that God forgave you for. And they're opening their wound and bringing it back up. Shut up! But you know what you can do in that time? Shed tears. You know why you shed tears? Because they've just reminded you of a dark time in your life. And the tears turn from sorrow to joy. Because the tear of joy is, He took care of it. He took care of it. And you know what? Every, bird, every person I've ever seen, every person sitting in this room is simply a work in progress. You're not there yet. We're not there. I know it's hard for you to believe that I'm not there yet. I know. I know. If you'd have seen me Friday night on the sidelines at that football field, you would understand I'm not there yet. I almost. Well, I did something I hadn't done in seven or eight years. I let a referee know exactly how worthless he is. In the love of Jesus, of course. I got to him before those coaches got to him. <laughs> I did apologize to him. He said, you know, you were pretty animated about that. He said, I'm sorry I missed that. And I said, me too. <laughs> but you know, we live in that kind of world, don't we? Where people miss the most important things. This story reveals that we all face situations where different voices compete for our attention. We fail to recognize that the world or the crowd from which we so often seek approval and affirmation really doesn't care about us. Have you discovered that? That those friends you thought you really needed, that you really thought were going to lift you up and support you, let you down in a minute. 
They'll turn on you in a heartbeat. Boom, man, in a minute. In a minute they'll do it. The Pharisees. We're just like them. Guilty of pointing our fingers at other people. Accusing them. Look at their sin. Look at their sin. Look at their sin. The only thing I remember about pointing your finger at somebody like that, you've got three pointing back at you. <laughs> Yours is triple as bad. Amen? I've never seen anybody do this. Well, by golly, I'm going to tell you right now. I don't see anybody pointing all their fingers at anybody. They always do this little finger. How quick we are to judge and criticize. Somebody will come to us and say one thing about some other person. And rather than realize that there's two sides to every story, we assume that they're telling you the truth and everything must be what they say. Oh, you better say amen on that one now. Oh, you guilty. You guilty. I see it all over you. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you're judging me. Mm-hmm. I am. Because I know how my feet are feeling right now. I know how my life is right now. And I know how bad I point a finger at people. But I forgot some of you are holy. Your halos are rising. I can see them. I can see them. Some of them are starting to tilt this way. But I see them. Come on, laugh a little bit, folks. Come on. Ease up out there. Like attack dogs. Okay, just ease up. I ran across a, a, an excerpt of a book. That's about the way I like to read them. Just, okay, I, okay, I got it. But in this excerpt, it talks about a circus and when it traveled to small towns by the train. And the author described in this book in detail the unofficial hierarchy of the traveling circus. From the ringmaster through various performers down to the roadies who set up the tents, everyone knew their place on the food chain. Even the freak show performers, the sideshow acts created a system of evaluating their peers. The three-legged man outranked the bearded woman who trumped the man with crab claw hands. And as you read through this book, you can't help but think that you don't have to join the circus to experience the cutting edge of judgment. You just have to go to church. Just go to church. Just go to church. Because there you're going to find people who judge you by the color of your skin. The brand names of the clothes you wear, the type of car you drive, their accent, the, uh, the athletic prowess, your education, your musical ability, your religious background, the list goes on and on. Are you a tither? Do you have daily quiet time? Do you watch R-rated movies? Do you attend a Christian school or do you go to a pagan public school? Have you ever looked at pornography? Are you a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent? What are you? Do you speak in tongues? Are you divorced? Oh, oh, are you one of the good looking people? Or did you get hit with the ugly stick a few times? Oh, we're full of judgment in the church. Where should you never be judged? Why? Because I'm guilty. I'm guilty of adultery. Are you? I'm guilty of adultery. Are you? Now I've got your interest on it. <gasps> I can't wait for the lunch. I can't wait for the lunch conversations. 
Oh, poor Cindy, preacher's an adulterer. You know how I'm an adulterer? When I sin against Jesus. Oh, well, that isn't what we thought you were meaning. I know. Get your mind out of the gutter. I commit adultery every time I choose my way over God's way. Is that true? Can I get an amen? When you face situations where the labels we place on certain people instead of the love of Christ determines an outcome, how do you respond? I'm not, nor does this story suggest that we ignore sin and the damaging effects upon people's lives. But the Scripture does teach that using other people as a stepping stone is offensive to our holy God. The most offensive sin described in this story is not the adultery. It is the malice, arrogance, and ignorance of the Pharisees to, in their use of sin and the sin of another person for personal gain while they ignore the sin that resides in their own hearts. The voice of the critic seeks to condemn you by exploiting and exposing all of your failures. And trust me, if you want to take me down, it won't take you long to find a list, a laundry list of mistakes I've made. In fact, if you'll just come ask me, I'll probably just give them to you. And we'll just get it over. So you've spent hours and hours in researching and calling in my past and looking on the Internet and doing a Google of me. Ooh. Just come and ask me and I'll tell you. Because you see, I've already taken those to the cross and I left them there. Because He said to. Now, if you want to condemn me for my past, take a number. <laughs> But I'm clinging to the cross because there I find forgiveness. There I find grace. There I find unconditional love. And oh, oh, if we would begin to respond to sin in that way. Does it need to be confronted? Yes. Does it need to be extra amount of love shown? Woo, yes. <laughs> Woo, yes. This passage has often been quoted by those who want to justify their sin. When their sin has been exposed, they arrogantly say, Well, who are you to call me a sinner? Who are you to judge me? Isn't that right? As soon as their sin's exposed, what do they do? It's somebody else's fault. They don't take responsibility for any sin. I never will forget when my boys would get into the cookie jar. And I'd say, all right, which one of you got in there? The two that didn't have chocolate chips melted all over their face usually were not the ones that got in the cookie jar. The one that had the chocolate chips hanging off of their chin. Oh. <laughs> and then they would all very quick to say, they'd do this and then they'd point at one of them. It's their fault. They made me do it. Mark was always the one that got in trouble. They would hear us coming and they'd shove chocolate chips into Mark's mouth. 
and they'd get the wash rag and they'd wipe their mouth off. And as we'd round the corner, those angel halos were just flowing in the breeze. And poor old devil Mark, cookies hanging out of his mouth. And these two fine, upstanding young men. Oh, Dad, we would never. So you whoop all of them because you're not getting the truth out of anybody, are you? You line them up. And that didn't, so that, that, broke, their, that broke their game. You know, it's easy to throw stones, isn't it? What did Jesus say in this passage? He that's without sin, throw that first stone. Throw it. The attitude expressed in that statement, if you're without sin, throw the first stone, is powerful. Because it makes you stop and think about the three fingers pointing back at you. The depravity of these Pharisees did not make the woman any less guilty. The law of Moses did call for strict punishment for adultery, but the law also provided a way of forgiveness. Why didn't they focus on the forgiveness instead of the sin? Why don't you and I work toward reconciliation instead of alienation and isolation? When my children would make a mistake, we would punish them. But we didn't banish them from living with us. Though there were days when that might have been a viable option. No, we loved them through it. Amen? You love them through it and hope that they get, get it on the other side. Now, do they need to make mistakes? Man, they will. Will they continue? Mm-hmm. Will I know about it? We're just now finding out things. It's so fun to get them together and get them talking about how they grew up. And in a, in a weak moment, they'll let out a piece of the story that mom and I didn't know about. And she looked at me the last time that happened. She said, I'm so glad we didn't know most things. That's right. That's why I went to sleep at 10 o'clock. She had to wait till they got in. At two, two seconds after midnight, I'm getting this. They're late. They're late. They're late. Waking me up. I'm asleep. Leave me alone. Oh, it was brutal. They'd have to come, they'd have to come back to her. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Brutal. Oh, and they knew how to charm her, though. They'd get to that door and, oh, Mom, I've missed seeing you. And when she's sitting there ready to just kill them, they come and hug her and they kiss her and she's, and then they leave the room and she hits me. I didn't do anything. But you know, why don't we work toward reconciliation? We, we must confront sin, yes. We must. If a brother or sister is struggling in their walk and, their, and in their life, we've got to tell them, don't we? We've got to love them enough to tell them. But then we've got to quickly love them enough to help them. Don't shove them away. Let's love them and help them. We learn three things from this story. The first is that our response to sin should be to admit our own sinful condition before an almighty God. In Romans 3.23 it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I believe that covers everyone in this room. We're all sinners. Okay? Second thing we learn is that we should acknowledge the consequences that sin is destructive. 
If I choose to sin, there is a residual consequence that comes from my choosing to sin. My boys hated the lecture. Whatever you do, there's a consequence, both good or bad. It depends on what you choose to do. Is that true? Is that right? You men and women that are married and you want to have an affair, you want to sleep with somebody else other than the wife or husband that God, uh, that you promised to before the God and before witnesses, that you're going to be faithful to them until death do you part. If you want to leave that and go on to somebody else and think that the grass is green on the other side, the grass is going to make you sick. Grass is going to make you sick. Trust me, it'll get sick. It'll get sick. And you think, you know, this isn't going to hurt anybody. It's my choice. It has such ripple effects through the life. Can you imagine the children of the men who this woman in our story was sleeping with? What was going on in their life? Can you imagine how those children felt about her? We've got to acknowledge the consequence of our sin that's destructive. Some say, well, I, I'm just having fun. They say, my sin is my own personal business. It doesn't hurt anybody else. Shame. Embarrassment. These destroy lives, and they're no laughing matter. Third lesson we learn from this text is how to respond to sin. To accept the compassion that's offered by Christ. But for the grace of God, so go I. You may be making great choices in life. We are so proud of you for doing that. But perhaps... You're struggling with some of those choices to make in life as well. The good news is, God loves you. God loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you so much He sent Jesus to die on the cross. He loved you so much that He made His Son the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice for your sin and mine. In Hebrews chapter 12, it starts out by saying that, uh, for, that he, he hung on the cross so that He could be the shame for us. It says, For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. What joy is that? It was the day that you and I said yes to Jesus and no to the world. And we accepted Him as our personal Lord and Savior. That's the joy that He died for. Is when you and I would come in repentance and in re receiving salvation. John, who wrote this gospel story, also in 1 John, the epistle, wrote in chapter 1 and verse 7, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and this we know, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. <laughs> the only one with the power and authority to condemn declared that He would not condemn her. Jesus looked at her and He said, No accusers? No, sir. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus allowed her the opportunity for repentance, did He not? He could have stoned her Himself, but He chose to extend forgiveness. Why don't we do that? Well, you just don't know how deeply I've been hurt, preacher. Boy, they hurt me, and I will never, ever, 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 ever forget it. You're going to die a bitter old person because that's going to eat your insides out. Get rid of it! 
Learn how to smile again. I don't have pretty teeth. I don't care. Take them out and smile. It don't matter. You get it? My mom, when she had dentures, she couldn't wear them for a long time. And so what she would love to eat, she, she got a, a, a real craving, and uh, I guess because it's so soft, was the Three Musketeers bar. So we would have to go all over town looking for those little bitty Three Musketeer things. And I'd sit there and watch. She had a bowl of them, and she, was, and she could just suck on them. <laughs> she didn't have to eat them. I thought, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. I tried it, and well, here's the end result. But the compassion, the compassion that Jesus showed her wasn't just a one-time free pass, enabling her to continue in a previous lifestyle. He confronted that. He simply said, I don't condemn you either. And by saying that, He said, I don't approve of your lifestyle, but I love you. Go and sin no more. Don't you and I need that same gift that many of us have received? Sometimes we forget we got it. I love the story of a young lady who migrated to the United States from Cuba. Being a devout Catholic, she wanted to attend confession, and she wanted to confess her sins in English to the priest. So she had a friend translate her list of sins in English by writing the words out phonetically, so she could say them using her limited knowledge of the English language. She took her place in the confession booth. She said the first phrase that she had memorized. And with a very thick Spanish accent, she said, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Then she, she looked down at the list, but it was too dark in that booth for her to see and read the list. She began hoping her eyes would focus and adjust to the dim light. And she said, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. And then, in obvious frustration, she said in Spanish, I can't see my sins. To which the priest in Spanish said, You are forgiven. Go and sin no more. It was the Apostle John who also wrote, If you will confess your sins, our Lord Jesus is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we ask you this morning to move among us. Father, we're choosing to live a changed life. We're choosing to be a people that you are proud of, that bring honor and glory to you. So, Father, I'm asking this morning that if there's someone in this room that is just, I mean, the burdens are so heavy. They just need an extra arm to hold them up. God, that's what we're here for. We're here to be your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mouths. Father, would you let us minister to them? Would they let us minister to them? I'm so encouraged, Father, by people who are demonstrating courage to stand, are demonstrating courage to say, hey, I'm not making it. I need some, I need some help. And Father, I'm, I'm so excited to watch families come back together. I'm watching husbands and wives. 
I have the privilege as the pastor of this church to watch husbands and wives reconcile and come back together. I'm seeing parents and children reconcile and come back together in a stronger bond and stronger way. Father, I'm watching, I, I'm watching you do miracles in front of our very eyes. I wish I could share these, but God, I can't other than just in generalities. There's others. There's others in this room that need to know that you love them, that need to know that you care, that need to know that your arms are open. And in the midst of their great sin, you're not going to condemn them, confront them, yes, but condemn, no. You're as, as quickly as you confront, you draw them to your chest to love them and to love us. Oh, Father, may we be people that love like Jesus, who stand on the Word of God and the truth that's there, but love like Jesus. And Lord, if there's somebody here today that needs that touch, would you move in them, encourage them? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand as we sing. Corey leads us in our hymn of invitation.